Good morning once again, church. If you would, please take your Bibles and open them to the book of Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 19 through 24 today. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. Once you've found your place in the scripture, please stand to your feet. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. God's word says this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by good news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel, served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would illuminate your word this morning by your spirit. Lord, as it is breathed out by you and spoken by holy men that you have moved, Lord, you are communicating with us. And so, God, we do not come to hear a person speak Even though we are listening to a human being speak, we are coming to hear you talk to us, Father. By your word, I pray that you would sanctify us. By your word, I pray that you would create faith in those who do not know Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, by your word, that you would cause the new birth to take place. By your word, Lord, I pray that you would do the things that you would call us to do and that you would move in our hearts so that we may believe and confess the things that you call us to confess. Father, we know that your word goes out and it will do something. It may harden a heart today and it may soften a heart today, but it will not return void. It will not go out empty. And so, Lord, I pray that those that this morning that might be apathetic to you speaking to them, God, that you would wake them up from their spiritual slumber and their stupor. God, those that are anticipating the word. I pray, God, that you would just feed them well. Lord, that you would spiritually just fill them up with good things that they might go away rejoicing in Christ this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, please be seated. The sermon is titled, The Heart of an Elder. The Heart of an Elder. I'm deviating from Malachi for a specific reason, just for this week, but the sermon is titled, once again, The Heart of an Elder, and you'll find out in just a moment why we're talking about this today. Now, during the second semester of my senior year in high school, which was a long time ago, 1991, I made a decision that would forever alter the rest of my life. I decided that I wanted to be a pastor for teenagers, or what is commonly called a youth pastor. And I was about to embark on an endeavor to lead God's people in ways, and I use this word, this phrase purposefully, I was about to embark on an endeavor to lead God's people in ways that I would not have ever imagined because I had misconceptions about what pastoring was about. So I had one view of what I was going to do. God had a completely different view, and so I would have not imagined what he had in store. I had a lot of misconceptions about what ministry was about. 
Now, some of that misconception, some of these misconceptions was in part due to the way that our denomination trained youth pastors and also the way that the youth pastor office was portrayed. It was often looked at as a stepping stone to becoming a real pastor. And it was a position in which sometimes you were just there to entertain teenagers and you kept them off of the streets, which I heard a parent tell me one time that was my job. And you taught them some biblical virtues, like how to remain sexually pure, because you definitely didn't want them getting anybody pregnant. Or you, if you were a girl, definitely didn't want that to happen before marriage, of course. And so that was your focus. Make sure nobody uh, is getting pregnant and having sex before marriage. Sometimes these virtues um, included how to be a good kid and listen to your parents so that you weren't causing trouble at home and how to have good friends so that you're not hanging out with the wrong crowd and joining gangs. And youth ministry was kind of boiled down to those types of things. And if you read the books of that era from 91 to early 2000, you will see that that's what a lot of youth ministry focused on. Okay, uh, Kids went around wearing rings, promising not to be sexually immoral. And, and uh, there was all kinds of things that were just focused on outward conformity and really not dealing with the heart of teenagers that w- were set, against, uh, set on rebelling against God. And so I had this poor idea about what a youth pastor was and what they did. I simply wanted to go into youth ministry for a couple reasons. Number one, because of the impact that my youth pastor had on me, my youth leader, um, during a very ugly part of my life in which my parents were going through a scandalous divorce. Yes, I did want people to know about Christ, but my understanding of an elder or a pastor was quite a bit skewed, and God would later straighten that out over the course of many years. Now, just so that you know, a pastor and an elder are one and the same. They are the same thing. They are biblically the same. In Scripture, the term overseer, the term bishop, the term elder, the term pastor, they're all interchangeable, and they are all the same office. Really, no such position exists as a worship pastor. Did you know that? There's no such thing in the Bible as a worship pastor. There's no such thing as a small group pastor. There's no such thing as a youth pastor in Scripture. There's no children's pastor. There's no such thing as an associate pastor. Those are all man-made inventions in which churches try to act like businesses and have main positions like a CEO and then sub-positions like maybe a president or a vice president. And, and they, churches tend to run things like businesses rather than the family of God. In Scripture, there are just pastors. There are just elders. There are just bishops or overseers. At Sovereign Way, at our church here, we use the term elder or pastor more so than the word overseer or the term bishop. But they all mean the same thing, and they speak of the same office. And while that holds true, we elders or pastors, we know full well that Christ is the true shepherd and the true pastor of his flock, and that we human elders are just under-shepherds, under-elders, if you will, caring for the flock, doing only and saying only what God, what Christ, the true shepherd, tells us in his word. And we, are not at liberty, we do not have the liberty to go outside of those bounds. Now, maybe here in this room, um, like me when I was younger, there are some misconceptions and questions about what a pastor is and what a pastor does. The misconceptions and the questions are many. Is the pastor the same as a priest? I've had people ask me that. So you're a father? I'm like, just a Macy, 
All right, not, not in the Catholic Church sense. Okay, questions like how come pastors only work on Sunday? Right. Um, <laughs> My wife thought that was very funny. I don't think she's ever left at anything I said from the pulpit, right? First time. Would, would, can we mark that? Everybody just mentally marked it, right? Uh, what does he do all week? What kind of benefits and retirement package come with being a pastor? Does dental and medical come with that? The, my favorite question, why is my pastor so cool? No, that's not one? Okay. Why is he so awesome? All right, maybe that one's not being asked. And the truth is, he's not perfect. He's just an ordinary human being who gets impatient at times. <gasps> Gasp, right? Who struggles with discouragement at times, maybe depression. He sometimes wonders how he's going to pay his bills. He's a guy that probably likes to watch Nacho Libre way too much, <laughs> right? Maybe you'll join me in my quarters tonight to watch the movie and have some toast, right? He wishes he loved God more than he does. I guarantee every pastor and elder wishes that. He's one who has questions about scripture. He forgets what he preached on last week. Do you know that's, that's the truth of your pastors? He, he has to help with household chores. He fights to keep his marriage intact. He stubs his toe in the dark and maybe says a word or two he shouldn't every now and then. He has to wear deodorant. Do you know that? He gets sick, and he likes crab legs. And we know that there's one pastor here that likes to eat all-you-can-eat shrimp, right? He's confessed it many times. Now, to help us better understand the pastorate, God has given us passages of Scripture like 1 Timothy and Titus chapter 1. And they help the church to see the qualifications of a pastor. In Philippians 2, 19-24, we get an inside look at the inner workings and the mindset of a biblical and godly pastor, a godly pastor's heart. In Philippians 2.19, that's what we see. We're going to see the central driving force in a faithful pastor and how the elder or the pastor thinks. Indeed, there are imposter elders, imposter pastors. They are wolves in sheep's clothing, as Scripture puts it. And their desire, these imposters, are to get rich and to take your money from you and to fulfill their worldly lusts for worldly things, and to satiate their sinful belly. But that is not so with the faithful pastor. While, by he, while he is by no means Superman, he is not perfect, he does have some distinguishing heart qualities that we ought to take note of so that we remain in a healthy church that honors God. So this morning we're going to look at two pastors in Scripture. Timothy, who has been working with intending to Paul, who is in prison for preaching Christ. Let me briefly address Timothy. We're just going to give a quick background sketch on Timothy and Paul and their workings together. Now, Timothy, and all this is going to set up our passage today. Timothy was a Jewish Greek convert of the Apostle Paul. So Timothy came to know Christ because of the Apostle Paul's ministry. And Timothy rapidly grew in the faith. He was with Paul on his second and his third missionary journey, as Paul was establishing and strengthening churches and building the kingdom of God. Likely, Timothy was in his 20s, his early 20s, when he teamed up with Paul, just a young guy. And so as Timothy is being raised up as a leader in God's kingdom, he has firsthand witness of how Paul plants churches 
how he strengthens them, uh, strengthens them through scripture and teaching of the word of God. He sees firsthand how Paul trains elders or pastors so that they can be left of the, in charge of the church so that Paul could go on and start new churches and do the same thing over and over again in his missionary work. So Timothy is witnessing all of this. Now you have to understand that technically speaking, Paul was not a pastor or an elder. And so the title is a little deceptive, but not so much, okay? The heart of an elder pastor. Timothy and Paul, at least Paul technically, was not a pastor or elder per se, but he did do pastoral and eldering type work. Technically speaking, Paul was an apostle and a missionary. That is, he was a spokesman for the risen Christ. Paul witnessed the resurrected Christ in bodily form. That's an apostle called by Christ. And he was called to take the nation, or the gospel to the nations. That is, to be a missionary. He was called to take the gospel outside of the Jewish community and to the Gentiles. And so the apostle Paul traveled and he started churches. And then he set things in order with local elders. Then, from afar, we see his letters, his advice, as the church sought out his help, and he would write letters to them, giving them counsel on how they were to handle issues and, and do things. And so, his pastoring, his eldering work, Paul's, was temporary, kind of like an interim or a temporary pastor until a permanent one comes along, until the church, Paul would do this until the church could function on its own with permanent local elders, and then he'd move on to start another church with Timothy. And through all of this, Timothy was able to learn from Paul how to shepherd and how to lead a church, how to be an elder and how to be a pastor. Timothy had hands-on experience. He had field work under his belt. And later, he would become an elder or a pastor at the church of Ephesus. And these churches Paul started, and these churches that Paul wrote to, they came to love Paul, and they came to love Timothy. But they came to love Paul so much that they would often support him financially, and they'd seek out wisdom from him from time to time. And they came to know Paul and to love Timothy as well. Timothy, again, who was helping Paul in the same same capacity as a missionary and temporary pastor until churches were fully started and they could be led by local pastors. Later, Paul, he would even send Timothy in his place to some of these churches when Paul could not tend to them in person. And so with this little summary of their work and relationship to each other, Let's now set a small time frame for what we're about to read in Philippians, okay? So there's some slides up on the screen that will help you to establish a brief timeline, okay? Let's set this timeline around Paul and Timothy's shepherding of God's people. Now, Paul's letter of 1 Corinthians, Pastor Steve preached through that for some time a few years ago. You'll know, many of you know that letter, but Paul's letter of 1 Corinthians was written around the year 55 AD. Now, I'm giving these, these dates for a reason. Not so that necessarily you remember when the book was written, because, but we're looking at it in relation to Timothy's pastoring work, okay? In 1 Corinthians, uh, we see that it was written around 55 AD. We can safely assume that Timothy was a missionary because he's traveling with Paul, but we can safely assume that he's a temporal pastor, uh, a temporary pastor at this point, because in this letter, 
In 1 Corinthians, Paul says that Timothy is doing the same things that Paul is doing. And he encourages the churches not to despise Timothy or to look down upon Timothy, presumably because of his youthful age. Timothy's a young guy. He's doing the same things as Paul is doing, he says, and he doesn't want the churches to uh, ignore Timothy's leadership. Now, fast forward 10 years, about 65 A.D., and we have the writing of 1 Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy, his protege. Okay? Ten years later, once again, Paul instructs Timothy a second time not to let others look down upon him because of his youthful age, which could have extended to someone 40 years of age. So if you are under 40 and you're feeling old, Scripture says something different. You're still in a youthful person, okay? So you got to listen to God, all right? So Timothy, then based on these dates, has been at least pastoring and traveling with Paul for the past 10 years at a minimum, okay? In 1 Timothy, we see that young Timothy is a local and now a permanent elder at the church at Ephesus. So at least 10 years between 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy, 55 and 65 AD, we see Timothy doing God's work as a temporary pastor and even a permanent pastor. So Timothy is well-seasoned, well-versed in leading God's flock. It's evident because Paul entrusts Timothy to lead this church at Ephesus, and he entrusts this leadership to Timothy to get the household of God in order. And so that's what 1 Timothy is about, okay? Now, there's no way to know exactly when Timothy was ordained or commissioned as an elder. We don't know the exact date, but in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 14, 1 Timothy 4, 14, and in 2 Timothy 1, 6, Paul mentions that he and other elders had previously laid hands on Timothy, thus affirming the gift of God given to him to pastor and to lead and to teach God's people by his word. So in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, we see that. Paul mentioning that, okay? And so in 1 Timothy, uh, this is what we call one of the pastoral letters, where even modern-day current pastors can hunker down and we can learn a lot about shepherding the church of God. But in between the writing of 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy, again, 55 and 65 AD, we have now the prison letter of Philippians, which we're looking at right now. This is written around 61 AD, almost right in the middle between 55 and 65 AD. Okay? So Philippians lands almost right in the middle, and so we can see that Timothy has been certainly functioning as an interim or provisional pastor during this time in his life, doing the same things as Paul. Philippians is a letter, and it's written by Paul while he is in prison for preaching the gospel of Christ. Paul is writing this letter to a church in the Roman colony of Philippi. Okay? And Paul says in this greeting that this letter is from him and Timothy as he's greeting the Philippians. This church knew Timothy well, as we'll see in a bit. This land Philippi, this colony land, had been given to Roman soldiers. So you want to understand the context a little bit. It had been given to Roman soldiers in order to keep them loyal to Caesar, to keep them from re-betraying him. Okay? So he basically bribed them, bought them out in, in loyalty. 
Because of this, the Roman centurions, the Roman soldiers, began to say that Caesar was Lord and Savior. Yet here we have these Christians proclaiming that who is Lord and Savior? Christ. Okay, So you can see that there would be tensions, strong tensions between the soldiers and the Christians in this colony. And so Paul writes this letter to the Philippian believers to let them know how he is doing and he wants to see how they are doing in spite of all of this. Now, even though he's in prison, he's rejoicing. That's, that's the last place I, I think I would be rejoicing. That and at a car dealership where I work, right? There's two places where it's hard to rejoice, okay? Can I get an amen? amen. All right. <laughs> two places, right? But here he's in prison. Roman guards, and he's happy. He's rejoicing. Why? Because Roman guards were hearing about Christ because of his ministry. Christians around him that are free have become emboldened by Paul's imprisonment, and they're sharing Christ with others. So he's rejoicing in spite of his terrible circumstance. There are even rival preachers around him who hated Paul and didn't like him. Okay? They wanted to get a larger following than Paul. But Paul rejoiced that the gospel was even being preached by them, even in their impure motives. They're trying to get more likes on their Facebook and more likes on their Instagram than Paul. That's basically what's going on, a popularity contest from their perspective. So they're preaching the same message under poor motives, right? These people that are wolves, if you will, or improper pastors. With, uh, so that's what's going on. And Paul's rejoicing. I don't care. The gospel's getting out. It's all that matters. And Paul wants to strengthen the Philippian church so that they are joyous and so that they do not buckle under any circumstance, So Paul says in this letter that he wants to send Timothy to them for spiritual encouragement and so that Timothy can report back to Paul how they're doing. And in this brief passage in the middle of this letter, we see the heart of two interim pastors laid out for us to see. And that's why we titled it The Heart of an Elder. The first thing we see in Scripture is that a godly elder trusts that Christ's church is in Christ's hands. A godly elder trusts that Christ's church is is in Christ's hands. In the first part of verse 19, Paul says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So look at those first few words that Paul uses. I hope in the Lord Jesus, right? What is he hoping and what is he trusting Christ for? To send Timothy to you. He's saying, if Timothy gets to come to you, it's because Christ willed it. I want to send Timothy to you, but Christ is in control. And God willing, Timothy will come to you. Okay? It may seem very subtle. All right? We may miss this important truth if we rush too quickly through this passage. But the truth of the matter is that the Philippian church did not belong to Paul, even though uh, he's leading it in some sense, even from afar, even though there's local elders, he's still serving over them, but he understands that the church, even if there are elders there, that it is in the hands of Christ. May I say, church, that you are in the hands of Christ. That is a good thing to know, a comforting thing to know. I belong to Christ. I'm a part of this church family. I belong to Christ. You belong to Christ. This is not my church. Uh, Many... Over the 26 years I've been pastoring and leading God's people, they're like, oh, so that's your church? People ask me, so you own it? Like, no, 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 you you don't get it. It's not my church other than I'm a part of it. I don't own it. Like, like, Like if I own this property or something or I own you guys. 
Many people have had many misunderstandings. And to set the record straight, God reminds us that we are the possession of Christ, that we belong to him. There are lots of things that pastors plan. You know that, right? If you've been to church and been in church sometime, part of God's family, they are meant to lead God's people. That's what shepherds do with sheep. They lead and feed and defend. Sometimes, though, the plans that elders make for the sheep, they don't always pan out the way that they had envisioned. We understand that. Elders are not infallible, nor are they omniscient. Right, Steve? And if Brian listens to this online, right, Brian? Okay, we are not infallible. We don't know everything. We can do our best to make good plans, and sometimes those plans fall short, and maybe they go up in flames and they crash and burn. Maybe God alters them just a little bit. Whatever good intentions that we may have, like Paul, it is important for elders in the church to recognize that church, the church is ultimately in the hands of God. We hope in the Lord Jesus to do things. It is He is the one who we have confidence in. The Lord is watching over his church, his bride, his possessions. And he will see to it that, that his ultimate counsel and will stands over his people, even if it means standing over the good intentions of elders and pastors. His will overrides ours. And that is why an elder or a pastor's job, and it is their privilege to teach you God's word, the counsel of God, and to teach you to submit to it to the word of Christ. When you gather this morning, you don't gather to follow a man. You, don't come, to, you, you come instead to follow the God-man, Jesus Christ. We are coming to remind ourselves that we are in his hands. He is working for his glory and our good. And the biblical elder recognizes this like Paul did. If the Philippian Christians were to be built up in the word by Timothy coming to them, then God would ultimately have to see to it that that would happen. And so Paul trusted in Christ to accomplish this. I would ask that you would pray that your elders would constantly trust in, uh, trust in Christ to accomplish his good will for you. And so that we would not trust in our own wisdom and our own understanding, but we trust in Christ to do good for you and that we would follow and submit to his word. And I ask that you would pray for that. A godly elder trusts that Christ's church is in Christ's hands. Secondly, we see that a godly elder uh, delights in the well-being of Christ's church. A godly elder delights in the well-being of Christ's church. He says this, he wants to send Timothy to them, and he's trusting in Christ to do that. Second part of verse 19, why? So that I too may be cheered of good news of you. So that I too may be cheered of good news of you, for I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare. Okay, So there's two people that are excited about their good welfare, Paul and Timothy in this passage. Paul wants to be cheered by a good report of the Philippians. He wants to know that their welfare is good. All right, He wants to hear about them, that they are doing well in the word, because why? This will comfort him. That's what it says, cheered by good news, to comfort him and perk him up while he's in prison. It will help him in discouraging moments. Paul is not a stoic. I know there's something in our culture that makes it seem like men are not supposed to have feelings and emotions. Well, I can't weep before the Lord. I can't feel pain. I can't let anybody see my weakness. But do you hear what Paul is saying here? I need to be cheered by good news of your well-being. Things aren't great for Paul, even though he's still rejoicing. 
Of course he is joyous in what God is doing through his imprisonment, but there's no doubt that he wanted to be out, just like you would want to be out of prison, right? And I would. He wants to visit the churches. He wants to plant new churches. Hearing a report of their spiritual growth would certainly cheer him up and console him. It would mean that his work was worth it. And for a moment, let me just remind you that through this text, all right, the pastors can be both joyful and sad at the same time, just like you may experience. There are times when we don't enjoy the current situation God has us in, and yet we ought to rejoice in what God does around us. So pray for your elders, pray for your pastors, pray for their minds, and pray for their hearts and for their joy in God's activity around us and in you. Last week, when you uh, honored us three pastors with gifts for, gifts for Pastor Appreciation Month, I, I, we expressed thanks publicly, and I stated that we are grateful for the love that you are shown to us. And I added a statement, and I wanted to make it known that the things that really encourage and drive us pastors is seeing you remain faithful to the Lord, hearing of a good report from other church members and other small group leaders and deacons and other elder interns talking and say, oh, so-and-so is doing great in this area and just, you know, the good kind of gossip. You know what I mean? Not the bad stuff, but we're just encouraging each other with good reports. Um, That's good news to our hearts. That's the good news that elders want to hear. Remaining faithful to God means you're doing well. Your welfare is good. Even if physically you might be going through some stuff, We want you spiritually to remain faithful to God in spite of it all. That news is worth more than silver and gold. It's life-giving to your pastors and to your elders that you are thriving in the Lord. Why? Because we are striving to present you in full maturity to the Lord. That's what we're trying to do. And to hear of that, uh, to hear of that encourages us. And when we hear that people are failing and faltering and that there are spiritual disasters in your life, that is devastating to the heart of a pastor. Right? That's how pastors think, and godly ones should. To hear of your perseverance and faithfulness breathes fresh life into us. We could be having a horrible day, and then we hear news of someone's spiritual growth, and it gets to our ears, and we're revitalized afresh for that day, for that week, for that moment, to go on living for the glory of Christ. And that's what a biblical elder strives for and desires to see, your good spiritual welfare. We want to hear reports of that. Paul says this, look, he says, there is no one quite like Timothy. He has no one like him in his life. Actually, the text means this, that he has no one like-minded like him. I have no one in my life that thinks just like me in regards to you. No one around him except for Timothy. No one else had Paul's godly mindset. Timothy also then cares about their well-being and their welfare, and he will be cheered up by their spiritual growth. This like-mindedness means, listen, this like-mindedness means that Paul was very specific in how an elder or a pastor ought to exercise oversight over God's people. Paul wouldn't just send anyone to go to the Philippians. Not just anyone, if someone has to go, all right, they have to go with the right sort of thinking and with the right caring mentality. This is why Paul wanted to send Timothy, and this is what Paul planned for, and this is what Paul thought best for the church. But he knew that all hoping and planning and best thinking might not be God's plan, and so he trusts in Christ and for Christ to do what is best. 
He says, I hope and I plan to send like-minded Timothy to you. My hope and trust are in Christ, but I want this for your benefit. And Timothy thinks the same way, okay? It is for your welfare and for my encouragement. And so we see, again, that a godly elder, he delights in the well-being of Christ's church. As we move on, we see that a godly elder, he makes sure that not just anyone leads Christ's church. Not just anyone leads Christ's church according to these godly elders. He says in verse 21, all right, First, let's back up a second in verse 20. Paul says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your, your welfare, for they all, referring to other people, seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul desperately wanted to hear how these Philippians are doing. The worst news he could possibly get is that they're no longer serving Christ. You want to discourage your pastor? Then abandon the faith. Refuse to grow in the Lord. And you see here that it would crush Paul's heart if they abandoned Jesus under the threat of persecution. That would not be good for his or Timothy's heart. Paul wants to hear of Timothy's good report, that these Philippians are strong in the word, that they love Christ more than anything, and it's evident in how they treat each other, that no one there goes without. They all share their possessions. They regularly gather to study the word. Paul, you should see how they are growing That's what he wants to hear back from Timothy, that they endure persecution and love their enemies. It's amazing how they're growing in the word and how they're growing in number. One way to ensure that these Philippians would continue in this Christ-likeness growing and in the sanctification was to send Timothy to bring this about in further uh, depths. But why Timothy and why not anyone else? That's what this next part of the verse addresses. Apparently, there were some people... Who would be a danger to the Philippians? They would be a danger to them. A danger to the Philippians. uh, This danger is ungodly, false pastors who would abuse this church for their own advantage, for their own personal, selfish well-being. Who are Paul and Timothy concerned about? They're concerned about the well-being and the welfare of the church. These other guys are contrasted. They seek their own interests, not yours, not those of Christ's. So I can't send anybody but Timothy, which gets to our point. A godly elder will not just let anybody lead God's people, okay? These people are described as those seeking their own interests. Christ's interests are not in their minds, nor is the well-being of the church. They have selfish uh, appetites. And Timothy's not like that, of course. He had the same mind as Paul, recognizing the church is in Christ's hands, wanting them to thrive spiritually under Christ, which would comfort both of their hearts and minds. And so Timothy is contrasted against these evil, false pastors. He wants what Christ wants, Timothy does, which is the glory of God being demonstrated in redeeming and sustaining his people. Philippian Christians, all right, he's basically saying this, I have no, I have no interim pastors around me like Timothy who thinks the way God wants them to. I know that if I send somebody to you, somebody else, somebody selfish, a man masquerading as a pastor, it will not be for your benefit. Your welfare will be hurt. 
Because there are some that claim to be elders or pastors, and they're doing so simply for their own selfish interests and not the interests of Christ. They preach to gain a following. They preach to hurt me. They preach to get rich. They're in it for themselves and their own interests. They aren't concerned with the things that concern our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. And thus, they do not have your welfare in mind. You are a, a, uh, you are a cow to milk. You are their money cow. In other words, they're going to scratch your back so that they have a really big sinful itch that they hope you might scratch back. Their motive is ultimately concern for themselves and not you, not for Christ. Church, this means that it is incumbent upon current elders to protect you from any man that would want to be a pastor or elder for selfish gain and personal glory. Do you get that? That's what a shepherd does. They protect against wolves. They will only seek to take advantage of you. They have no business leading and watching over you. It's all about their personal benefit. Now, you uh, you must expect the elders of the church to guard against those kind of people. It should not be easy to be a pastor at any church. Do you hear that? It should not be easy to be a pastor at any church. It certainly isn't at this church. Now, this is one reason. Maybe I'm a bit extreme in this. I don't think I'm too extreme. This is one reason why I don't advocate for a lot of the ways that churches find and hire pastors. Okay? They'll give an interview to a guy that they just met. They'll have him come preach a couple times. They'll get a couple of references Sounds like a regular job interview, doesn't it? Couple interviews, couple references, couple sermons. Man, we think you're good to go. We want to hire you as the pastor of this church. I don't know about you, but that's, that seems a little sketchy to me. How do you get to know a guy in a short term like that? Many, 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 we know many people that have got hired at jobs, and they pulled off a good interview only to come find out that they're just a terrible worker, right? They're like, oh, man. Well, they passed the interview, right? It's because we don't know that person in depth and their character. And the elders of the church must protect God's people from those who may be hard, uh, may be, uh, may be uh, easy to... The elders of the church may, must guard against those kind of people so that they do not harm you. That's what I'm trying to say, okay? How do we do that? Well, I think one of the ways that we do that, instead of following the world's way of hiring people into churches, I think one of the ways that we do that is to make sure that we prove and test a man over time. Over time, he must be tested publicly, not just interviewed. And I think that's what Paul is getting at in the next verse. That not just anybody must be a leader of God's church. The church must be protected. How are they protected? Well, an elder must be proven to lead God's church. An elder must be proven to lead lead Christ's church. Look at verse 22. This is the heart of, of an elder. He says, you know Timothy's proven worth. I can't just send anybody to watch over you, but I can send Timothy who's like-minded like me. And you know Timothy's proven worth. You know it. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So Paul says Timothy has a proven worth. That means he's been tried and verified in character and in actions. He wasn't given a free pass when it came to leading God's people. 
Through the various journeys and the various struggles, he persevered in godliness and grew into the man that he was. Mommy and daddy didn't pay for him to get this leadership position. He wasn't put in this position because he knew the senior pastor, which there is no such thing biblically as a senior pastor. Okay? And indeed, Paul loved Timothy and he considered him a son, but that didn't mean Paul made it easy for him. Paul said that Timothy had served with him. In other words, Timothy was a slave. When it says serve, it says he was a slave to the gospel. He's bound to this gospel of Christ. That is what he serves. Timothy was in bondage to the gospel, shackled to Christ, going wherever and doing whatever the Lord acquired of him for the gospel's sake and for the salvation of sinners so that Christ would be exalted and glorified. That's how Timothy was proven in character over time, over hardship, over work, over years, in public view of all. Paul says, you know this. You aren't hoping this is true. You aren't just relying on the testimony of others. You know this firsthand. You've seen it. You have a deep knowledge of this. Timothy didn't go off to a private school where nothing could be observed about him. And then someone who we don't know says he's qualified now to lead God's church. Professors who don't necessarily have a hand in the day-to-day living of a prospective pastor. He says, no, you saw this in plain view. All the qualifications of a strong leader were on display for all to see. I truly believe that the best way for the church to bring pastors on board at a church is to have them be homegrown. I believe when a pastor's homegrown, you get to see that man's character over years of service. You get to know his leadership skill more than through just a few references or a few interviews or a few sermons preached over a month. You get to see how he interacts with people over the long haul. You get to actually witness his personal growth and see where and he was at this point, and now look at him. And you get to witness that. Paul would not just allow anyone to go to the Philippians. How, how flippant some churches are when it comes to hiring pastors and bringing them to lead their church. It's a shame. Elders need to be tried and tested and put through the fire, so to speak, they need to be qualified. Back in 2007, I planted a church in Victorville. And uh, in 2012, after nearly burning out, we came alongside Sovereign Way Christian Church and we combined with them at that time. That was 10 years ago. It was November, December, uh, 10 years ago in 2012. And one of the things that the elders told me at that time, and I hated him for it. No, I didn't. All right. <laughs> but Steve's smiling back there. One of the things that they told me is that I would not come in automatically as a pastor or an elder at Sovereign Way Christian Church. In hindsight, and with the wisdom of Paul before us, I can stand here to say, I can stand here today and say that that was a wise decision. It really was. It sure didn't feel good to me on an emotional level, I'll tell you that much, but I knew that it was the right decision. I I literally I literally stood in front of my bedroom mirror at my house, and I asked myself, can you not be a pastor? If it's for the good of the kingdom of God, can you lay down being a pastor for a bit, however long that is, maybe indefinitely? For the good of these people and their welfare, can you stop what you're doing and allow other pastors to lead them? And because I love the church in Christ more than my position, 
I stared myself down in the mirror and I told myself to trust God that he's running this church, not you. Do what he requires. And then several years later, it felt like an eternity, Steve, but several years later, after faithfully serving and leading here at Sovereign Way, the elders asked me to go through the ordination process. They saw like-mindedness, I believe, or else they wouldn't have asked, right? A love for God and his church that I wasn't doing it for myself. And there are times when elders don't want to do because, you know, it's hard sometimes. But we're doing it for God. And years it took to be an elder here. Why? Because there are some, there are men in the church that want to be an elder for their own selfish interests. And we have to ensure the safety of God's people. Church, believe me when I say that we have had selfish men here at this church that want to lead for their glory. And they've been flushed out and sent away. Those men aren't with us. They've gotten frustrated and left because the elders here wouldn't allow them to get their selfish way. We care about protecting you. That doesn't mean that that no one can ever be an elder here. That's not what that means. That's just wrong and it'd be selfish of current elders. If a man is called by God, if he's equipped properly, if he's validated by the church, then the elders of the church ought to commission that man as an elder and be allowed to continue to lead God's people. And that's what we see really here in Philippians with Paul and Timothy over time. Paul guarded and he watched over the Philippians, not allowing just anyone to get their grubby hands on these precious believers. But he was cool with like-minded Timothy, who he raised up and ordained with other elders. Homegrown Timothy was good to go for the Philippians. Brothers and sisters, it's awesome to see this in the word. But do you understand that God still works in the same way? That this isn't relegated to awesome stories in scripture, but that we have an awesome story going on at Sovereign Way Christian Church. A homegrown Timothy is in our midst. He's teaching the kids right now, so I'm going to spend a moment making a plug for his ordination next week. But his name is John Weigel, or properly John Weigel, okay, if you want to get technical. You've seen him develop over the past four plus years, have you not? Do you remember when he was just a skinny, scrawny little boy? Well, that hasn't changed, okay? But uh, I remember him sitting up here. Who was the skinny, scrawny guy? And, and uh, just thinking, all right, we got a single man in our midst. All right, awesome. Maybe he'll serve the Lord. What a difference four years has made. And now I look at him like, who's a skinny, scrawny guy about to become an elder? Okay? You've, you've seen him grow. You witnessed and heard his first sermon. Maybe you remember that, maybe you don't. You've seen him improve, not just in oratory skills, but in his handling of the word of God. You've seen him study through college, and now he's in the midst of seminary. You've seen him teach kids. You've seen him teach teens. You've seen him teach young adults. You've seen him mentor and love others in the church. Brothers and sisters, he's a Timothy. He's like-minded with the elders here at this church. He cares for your well-being. He has the interests of Christ in mind, not his own. And next Sunday... The current elders of the church will lay hands on our brother and, our, and we will confirm his calling to be an elder at Sovereign Way. I'm trying not to get emotional over this. This is so amazing to see someone confirmed. Do you know how rare this event is at our church? Next Sunday, this is what's going to happen. We have all been blessed because of this young man. It's a very rare event that will take place next Sunday evening. We will be having a potluck at 4 p.m., at 5.30 p.m., John Weigel will be ordained, God willing, 
In the 12 years of Sovereign Ways Christian uh, Church's history, only two people have been ordained as elders aside from the founding pastors when the church was first started. Next week marks a rare day. It's more rare than baptisms. It's, it's, it's very rare that this happens. So I'm telling you, it's, it is of utmost importance that you try to be here to affirm with us the appointment of John to eldership here. Please mark it on your calendar. Try not to let anything interfere with this if possible. Everyone, I believe, is invited to the potluck, correct, brother? All right, everyone's invited, and I believe everyone is also invited to the ordination of John. We'll be also ordaining, uh, not ordain, uh, I guess that's the right word, some deacons as well uh, next week. And uh, we have four men that will be commissioned as deacons. And uh, that's happened a little more frequently, not as rare, but uh, we will see that next week, uh, an elder being ordained as well as several deacons. And so I believe attenders and visitors are welcome to witness that. And then after that, we'll dismiss non-members and we will have our members meeting in which we have like six or seven more people joining our congregation. Next week is going to be lit, folks. It is going to be awesome. And I strongly encourage you I strongly encourage you to come see this spiritual event. The fireworks may not be visible, okay? You aren't going to see the Shekinah glory of God, okay, which I wish we could. You're not going to see this filled with smoke as if it's the temple of God. You won't see those fireworks. There won't be flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. It will seem like a non-affair from an outward appearance, but we will be able to celebrate the work of God over many years in shaping these men for God's glory, they care for this church and the well-being. So come show your support. Come celebrate what God is doing. You know his proven worth, and you've seen the deacons and their proven worth, these prospective deacons, just like the Philippians knew Timothy's proven worth. John has been tried. He's been tested and put through the fire. If you didn't get to witness his ordination exam, it's online on YouTube, and you can see we did not let him off the hook in any way, even though he probably feels like a son to Steve because uh, he was one of his students in high school, and we've worked together in ministry these past four years with students and kids and all that. He feels like a, a young brother, almost like a son to some here, but that didn't mean that he got a free pass. I mean, <laughs> Uh, personally, I was scared to ask him some questions because I didn't want him to fail. But he, he killed it. He, he slayed, uh, if you want to put it in the vernacular. Our brother, he's about to go on a mission trip to Vietnam. We get to, sh- to third world country, a communist country where it is not safe. We get to share him with others. What a blessing. I love this guy. I know you do too. And I'd be blessed if I ever had a son like him. It's probably too late in my life for that. Right, honey? All right. She didn't laugh at that one. Okay. He's my brother in Christ. He's to be my soon fellow elder. What an amazing thing God is doing in our midst. Can we stop and just appreciate that for a moment? We look at Paul and Timothy and we think, wow, what what an amazing thing we see. And the same thing is happening here. Homegrown. Not somebody we had to import here that we don't know very well. We see in Philippians, right, a godly heart in pastors. Church, the apostle Paul had rivals, and they preached for their own following. They wanted, again, more likes coming their way, selfish interests. Neither Paul and Timothy cared about that. They cared about Christ's agenda and these people. So elders, 
They must be men who care about not their own interests or popularity, but the fame and the renown of God. And they must guard against the culture of a church that wants to grow around anything other than Christ and protect Christ's church from that. And they must guard against allowing dangerous leaders in the church. It's harmful for you and for the glory of God. Lastly, we see that an elder longs to be with God, uh, God's people. A godly elder longs to be with God's people. In verse 23, we see this. He says, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I will see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that, I, that shortly I myself will come also. It might be self-evident, but a, is a shepherd a shepherd if he has no sheep? No. Neither is an elder an elder if he has no one that wants to follow that man as he follows Christ. The text isn't saying this, but there are people who want to be a pastor, but they have no one who wants to follow them. Conversely, there are men that want the title of pastor, but they don't want to be around God's people. They want the title of pastor, but they don't want to be around God's people. I have heard pastors that I have worked with in the past say pastoring would be great if it weren't for God's people. That irks me. Eldering requires oversight. If you don't desire to help God's people, then you don't want to be an elder. You just want some title. Both Timothy and Paul longed to be with the Philippians. It's the heart of an under-shepherd because it's the heart of a true shepherd who longs to be with his own people. They're just mimicking Christ because that's what's in their heart. Christ died and rose again to bring us to himself. Paul is unselfish. He needs help in prison. But soon he's going to try to send Timothy to help them. Okay. As soon as Timothy is done sending, uh, tending to Paul, he hopes in Christ to send them. And Paul states again, he trusts in the Lord, not only to send Timothy, but he says, I trust in Christ also. I trust in the Lord that I might also come to you. That's where I want to be. I don't want to be here in prison. I, I, I expect to get out. Great things God is doing here, but I want to come be with you. He can't wait to be with the people of God. Spending time with you all ought to be the desire of a pastor's heart. It's where the focus of our gifting should be placed. And, if, and you should want to spend time with your elders and pastors as well. Not because we're cool, but because you want to be equipped for the work of God, for God's glory. And you want others to know our Savior. And hopefully there's a gifting in us that helps you get to that next level, that little next push that you need. I know a couple of us, we work full time outside of the church And so unfortunately, our time is limited in that capacity. Nevertheless, we still want to spend time with you as much as God allows. And God willing, we pray that this time will increase. Some of us are trusting in Christ to allow us to spend more time with you soon. If possible, and we feel like we're in prison to our secular jobs, like Paul, if we could use that as a metaphor, but we hope to spend more time with you soon. And would you continue to pray for that? It is for God's glory and your welfare. Brothers and sisters, this is the heart behind a godly pastor and a biblical elder. They aren't perfect by any means, but they are to be lovers of the church and lovers of the Lord, looking out for God's glory and your welfare. Fellow elders and John, as you guys listen to this, I'm sure our brother will listen later, may we remember what we see here in the Philippians, uh, in Philippians and in Paul and Timothy. And may we go to the grave with kingdom priorities ever before us. Now, today's message might seem like there's little relevance for you if you are an unbeliever or a non-Christian, but there's very real uh, importance and relevance for you. If you are not a believer, if you are not a Christian, 
If you are not a follower of Christ, it means you are not under, under godly leaders in the church. It means your eternal welfare is in jeopardy. Okay? If you are not amongst God's people, your welfare is in danger. Apart from the shepherding of Christ, apart from his under-shepherds or pastors, it means that you are led by another. It means that you are led by Satan, that you are being led away from God. It is important for you to understand that your very soul and body are in danger of God's wrath in the lake of fire. We are all sinners, and we have all disobeyed God and rejected him as the ruler and the proper shepherd of our life. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, and to stray from God is death. Christ came to earth to fully obey God in order that he would die in our place and give us eternal life with him. And scripture says that when we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that God forgives our sin, he gives us the perfection of Christ so that we will be saved on the day of judgment. As such, anyone who trusts or believes that Jesus Christ is the Savior is now under the shepherding and leadership of Christ. They are guarded by his power for the day of salvation. Those who are Christ's people then, Having been saved, we gather together to mutually encourage each other and serve each other as we learn and as we are led by human shepherds who are ultimately following the ultimate shepherd, Jesus Christ. So for your eternal well-being and good welfare, unbeliever, I urge you and I plead with you to call upon Christ to save you and to join God's people. God will watch over you right, with the rest of the flock as he places you under godly elders and pastors over you to ensure your spiritual and physical well-being. And he will put you around a group of deacons, that is, people who minister to your physical needs as the pastors serve your spiritual needs. That's God's love for you. Do not reject his shepherding. Do not despise it. Come to him. Please, if you need the shepherding of Christ and you need his salvation, come speak with me after service. Talk with another member. Talk with another pastor. Talk with one of the deacons in our church and understand fully what it means to know Christ as your shepherd. For us believers, let's prepare our hearts now to receive communion and we will be witnessing a baptism uh, just after this. Let us pray.